with our boys. So I've got an 11 year old and an eight year old and I love taking them hiking because some of the parents can relate to this. If it were up to them, they would just be on a device all day long. You relate, right? Uh, they would totally just sit there and play Fortnite and then watch YouTube 24 hours a day. So we love going hiking. And here's how that works for us. I've got that All Trails app. Do any of you use All Trails? It's so good. And I'll do some homework and try to find a good spot for us to go and hike as a family. And, uh, and I'll know, like, I'll pick the place we go based on a couple things. One, does it have elevation changes? My boys get really bored if it's just flat. Like Nick said, all of Georgia, you just walk in circles. All of Georgia, the whole state is just a circular walk. But in Massachusetts, it's only lines. I love that. Um, so we try to find places that have elevation changes so it's not monotonous. And then they like places where we can like throw rocks into water. Uh, that's a, a nice one. So we went on a hike with the Tagers the other day and there was water, like we could see it, but it was hard to get to it and there wasn't even many good rocks around it. And so I was bummed that we didn't get to skip rocks. Like my kids love that. They're, whenever we go on a hike, there are good places and bad places in the hike for us. The good places are typically in the parking lot um, because in the parking lot, right, we get our water bottles and then they get to see all the snacks we brought and they're complaining that we can't be on device. We're like, look at these snacks. We're going to eat these snacks somewhere on the hike, right? <laughs> and then when we get back to the parking lot and typically if we're hiking and there's like a point at like you're going to something, they love those parts of the hike. The beginning, the ending, and the best part, right? The worst part of the hike every time, every single time is that part in the hike where we're way into the forest but we haven't arrived at anything and they can't see where we're going and they're just mad uh they're not in the service i had to handle this a little bit more delicately in the last service right because they were sitting in here and uh but barrett do not tell them i said this but like there have been a couple of hikes where they have lost it like i mean lost it like somebody in the middle of oh, an unending war loses it with the battle plan and like what's going on like they've lost it like and in those moments god in all of his goodness every time it's ever happened has brought us to a point where you'll kind of climb and you'll get to an elevated point and you can look and see what's going to happen. My favorite place to hike is the Middlesex Fells Reservation just up the street, right? And there's a point where you get, and, and there was another one that we all did in Saugus, where you get to a high point and you can look and you're like, oh, there's the Boston skyline and there's all the forest that we've been walking through. And for them, in the middle of that wilderness of wondering what in the world is going on, we'll often get to a stopping point where they can see exactly what's going on. Well, I think that's a really good metaphor for this year. Honestly, for a lot of us, like it can feel a bit like a wilderness where we're like, God, what in the world are you doing? So if you've got a Bible or if you've got the QR code, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter eight. Um, and we're just going to look at, I think, nine verses today, and I'll give you some background on that in just a moment. If you got in here late, the QR code will get you there. Yep. No, we don't. Yeah, we're not bringing any paper in here as best we can, Carla. I'm sorry. Um, I can I can relate to my boys, by the way, in that frustration. Like there are moments in my life where I look up and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like it can feel like I am in the middle of a wasteland wilderness of life and I'm questioning his plan and I'm wondering, is he going to lead me to a place of rest? 
And sometimes he's allowed me just to pause. Sometimes, whether it's through a friend or like Nick was talking about through song or scripture, or sometimes it's through a blessing that God's provided, God will allow me to kind of see the big picture of what he's doing in the world and in my life, and it'll re-energize me and give me strength to follow him a little more. Um, how many of you, and I will ask you if you don't care, just to do show of hands here, how many of you say, man, it would be really nice if God would bring me to a place of rest right now where he, I could see his perspective because it can just feel like I'm in the forest a little bit. How many of you would say that? Yeah. So look around. That's most of us, right? Like we feel that. So often we can feel alone in that. Like we're the only one struggling with that. The truth is today, if you feel that way, you're not alone. I want to encourage you. Like for me, we found out we would meet here uh, in this theater for eight weeks. We found out about three weeks ago. And it happened because of God's provision. And it happened because Barb Augusta was bold enough to come and ask if we could meet here. And it happened because Kristen Johnson, who runs this place, has been really generous to let our church move in from November to December. The plan was we were just going to go back to Facebook Live. And that, that would have been fine. Though I'd like for us to be able to meet face to face through Christmas if we can. Uh, but God totally provided. And so over the last three weeks, I've come in and I've just kind of stood here or sat here. And it's so quiet and peaceful in here to me. And it's just reminded me of God's faithfulness in the wilderness. Our church has met in four different locations this year. We met the first two months and two weeks at the Harvard Kent. Then we met for six months on Facebook Live, which is where some of you began to come to our church for the first time. Then we met for two months at the Eden Street Park. And now we're going to meet here for two months. It's like we're like my kids on a hike. It feels like we're wandering through the wilderness of this year, right? And so when I come in here, I can feel a bit like that elevated spot where I can look and see exactly what God is doing and is going to do, hopefully, over the next eight weeks. 2,500 years ago, 1,500 years, or I guess, excuse me, that was terrible math. My mom, who was a math teacher, would kill me. 3,500 years ago, uh, 1,500 years before Jesus, some of his ancestors, some of his most distant relatives were in the middle of a similar experience. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and now they have been freed from Egyptian bondage by Moses, their leader, kind of their spiritual leader, and actually their trail guide as they're going from Egypt to Israel, the promised land. Now that journey should have only taken a few days or weeks. It ends up taking 40 years. And for 40 years, they're wandering around in the desert because of their unbelief, not because they got lost, not because God misplaced them. The Bible says that he literally kind of went before them every single day. But because of their unbelief and hard-heartedness, this journey that should have just taken a few days or weeks ends up taking 40 years, an entire generation. So if you were Hebrew 3,500 years ago, uh, one of Jesus's ancestors, you would look at your parents and have watched them die off in the wilderness. And you would think about your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents. And basically everyone who's ever lived can come from Europe uh, and lived in North America or come from Africa and lived in North America for the last three, 400 years, Everybody in that time span had been slaves in Egypt. And so your Ancestry.com uh, sort of report for an ancient Hebrew would be really simple. Mom and dad died in the wilderness, and grandpa and grandma and everyone before them, as far back as we could possibly remember, had died in slavery in Egypt. And here they are. They've wandered through the desert. They're on an elevated point. Moses is old. 
and he's giving a sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is essentially just a sermon of Moses telling them at an elevated point, like on a hike, here's what's coming. Here's what's ahead as you get ready to go into the promised land after 40 years of wilderness. And so this is what it says in Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 10. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and then he fed you with manna. And manna was just literally in Hebrew, that word just means what is it? It literally was bread that every night would fall out of the sky and land like dew on the grass in the morning. And it would be there every single morning for the people of Israel for 40 uh, years in, in the wandering. And so he led you and he humbled you. He let you hunger and he fed you with manna, heaven bread, which you didn't even know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse four, your clothing didn't wear out on you. Your foot didn't swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart, but as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. And when the Bible calls us to fear God, it's not saying we're afraid of him, but it's saying we honor him and we revere him and we understand that, yes, he's loving, but he's also holy. And so we, we fear him, we honor him, we esteem him in all of his glory. Verse seven, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is, I can just see Noah and Owen and Nat and I with them melting down and us getting to an elevated point and saying, look, we're heading there. We can almost see it. We're almost there. Just hang in there. We're gonna be there. This isn't the destination, but this can give us a picture, some rest and an image of what the destination is gonna be. And as I read these verses, as I read them this week and chewed on them, three words really stand out. The first one's remember. It's the first thing that you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you. The next word that stands out is the word humble. That God was humbling them in the wilderness. And then the third word is testing. And we're going to talk about those three words today. This idea that we haven't arrived, but God has led us. Those three words, remember, humble, and testing will steer us Along, It's that we're not enslaved to the past anymore, but we also haven't arrived at the promised land. Now, some of us today will find ourselves in a wilderness. Some of you find yourselves in a wilderness. Some of you find yourselves in a wilderness of waiting. It feels like you're waiting on God. Maybe you're waiting on a job or you're waiting on a promotion or you're waiting on an answer to a prayer or some an answer to a, a prayer for like freedom from a struggle. Maybe you're waiting on a new relationship or restoration of one that is broken. Waiting on God can feel like the wilderness. Maybe you're in a way, uh, wilderness of disappointment. You thought life would go one way, life has gone another way. I was telling uh, Mary just a moment ago, one of our friends here in Charlestown, her daughter broke her foot this week. 
and I saw her post a picture of her daughter's foot on, uh, and it wasn't even you guys, somebody else's daughter broke their foot this week, isn't that great? Uh, and so she posted a photo of her daughter at the ER, and I could hear the frustration in her post, you know, it's like, 2020, you went again, kind of a deal. And uh, all I could tell her, I wrote it in there, I'm so sorry, and that's the most 2020 thing I've heard today. Like life comes with joys and life comes with disappointments and they can feel like a wilderness. Maybe you're in a wilderness of loneliness. We've all been there. Even when we aren't alone, we can feel so alone. Like I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I've been in a crowded room before and felt totally alone and unknown. And we can find ourselves in a wilderness of loneliness today. So lonely sometimes that we can even wonder if God has abandoned us and if he even sees us. I want to tell you today, by the way, if you feel like that, because a couple of you nodded, nodded very subtly. You are seen by God and you are seen by us. We love you. You are not alone. We are in this with you. And I hope today at some point, multiple points, maybe you feel connection with others. Maybe you're in a wilderness of unfulfilled longing. You thought something was going to provide meaning or joy or satisfaction, but found that it didn't. Or maybe you're still waiting on that thing or person you believe can do so. Or maybe you're still waiting on God to reveal himself. I meet so many people in Charlestown who tell me, JD, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I believe in God. I just haven't connected with him fully yet. Maybe that's you. And I want to tell you that God wants to reveal himself to you and wants you to experience peace with him. Whatever type of wilderness you might be in, they are very real. Like the worst thing a pastor or a friend could do is try to minimize them and act like they're not real. Like these, this was a real wilderness these people were in, and these are real wildernesses we can find ourselves in. And they've been there for a long, long time. Uh, as I shared, their generations had gone before them and been in the same thing. So er, Moses urges them, if you take notes, write down these three words. Moses urges them, one, to remember. Because if we don't remember, we forget. Like, how many of you have kids who don't seem to remember their chores or their homework or the things that you ask them to do? Sometimes with my kids, I'm like, how can you have forgotten that? I just told you what to do, right? And they're like, oh, I forgot. I'm like, dude, it was 15 seconds ago. Like... The, the, the air hasn't even cleared of what I just told you to do. How can you forget? But then I remember how many times I do that with God. How many times I do that with God. And I see uh, Carson and Lana looking at Barrett like he forgets. But Barrett, I'm going to defend you and say there are times when the Lord has told your mom and dad to do stuff. And they've probably forgotten as well. Is that right, mom and dad? Carson's like, no, that's not right at all. Uh, man, we can get this amnesia. In fact, God told these wandering people at one point, he said, get a bunch of stones and put them in a pile here at this spot and, he, and call it an Ebenezer, a reminder of what God did before because we tend to forget. We need to remember. Moses also tells them they need to humble themselves. God used this to humble them. Now, I grew up in a, in a family where to humble yourself meant to be self-deprecating. If somebody was like, you did so great on that test, I would say, I just totally got lucky. Or if I beat you in basketball, I'd be like, hey, even a broken clock is right twice a day. That was, that was humility in my family and my upbringing. The truth is, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. God would not have us beat ourselves up. He says that he loves us and we're worthy of the death of his son, but he would have us become so Christ-focused and others-focused that we become self 
forgetful. And so Moses says, God, use this wilderness to humble you. My greatest fear of coronavirus. Can I tell you my greatest fear of coronavirus, frankly? And I've prayed this over and over since March 13th. My biggest fear is that we would come out of pandemic feeling like shoulders back, We're Boston strong. We're resilient. We got through this. We found the vaccine. We kept the economy from crumbling. We did this as arrogant as we walked into this. That would be a tragedy. My prayer during this whole season is that two things would happen. One, that it would lead to revival. Now, revival is is an Old Testament word. Uh, And revival means that God takes his people, the church, Christ followers, And he awakens them. It's like he brings them back to life spiritually. It's like a spiritual CPR. And then I pray that God would do awakening. An awakening happens when people who are not yet followers of Christ, sort of in mass, in in large groups, come to faith in Christ. My biggest fear of coronavirus is that we would leave this more self-reliant and defiant than we went into it. My greatest prayer is, God, will you humble us And show us all the ways you protected us as a church, as families, as individuals, as a community, as a nation, as a planet. And would it break us down? Would it break us down and cause us to rely on you? Because we can be a very self-reliant people. And as much as we like to pay lip service to God, there is something about us, like the nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness, that needs humbling and needs Jesus to be more than our co-pilot. Moses also said that God was testing them in the wilderness. Now, I, I hear about testing, and I found out earlier. How many of you grew up in New England? Most of you grew up here, right? Yeah. Did you, you guys didn't take the CRT or the ITBS tests in school, did you? Okay, this was a standard. I don't know what the equivalent was for that here. You, some of you did? Okay, MCAS, okay. So the CRT uh, and then the ITBS were the standardized tests we had to take. I hated those tests. They had the Scantron. You guys use Scantrons, right? I hated Scantrons. A Scantron to this day will cause me anxiety. I was the kid that was so afraid on question 11 that I would accidentally fill in the bubble on question 10 and then miss the next 90. And so I would find out I was literally... And in a room of 100 people, I was the 90th smartest one. And, but that wouldn't actually be a reflection, right? Like I was going to be so dumb because I missed a bubble. When, when the Bible talks about God testing us, it's not talking about God trying to get you or God giving us some scantron that's going to fuel our anxiety. When God tests us, he's trying to work in our lives so that he can see his reflection in us. So when you find yourself in a wilderness, often it's actually God just trying to refine you and melt you down and scrape away the impurities so that he can see his reflection in you and I. And so God, Moses says, God was using the wilderness to help them remember, to humble them and to test them. So there are three things that are true about their wilderness that today are just as true about our wilderness. If you find yourself in the wilderness today, today, I want to tell you the three things that I think we can see really clearly in this passage. Here's the first one. God led them to the wilderness to lead them in the wilderness. 
God led them to the wilderness, out of slavery to the wilderness, to lead them in the wilderness. Verses 3 and 4 talk about how their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Now, I don't know if they were carrying sheep with them in their entourage of a million Hebrews wandering through the desert. And maybe every season they would shear the sheep and they would make shirts and robes and whatever they needed. Or God miraculously for 40 years just gave them the most resilient cloth ever and their clothes didn't wear out. I'm not sure. But for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. The Bible says for 40 years, their feet didn't swell. When we go on those hikes, we come home and all of us put our feet up and we relax and my boys are like, Dad, my feet hurt so bad. And I'm like, boy, be quiet. Get to soccer practice. Like, get out there and work. And, they, and Jamie's their coach and they're always like, my feet hurt so bad. I'm like, get to soccer practice. Go and wear out Coach Jamie out at soccer practice. It's good exercise for all. The Bible says their feet never swelled in the wilderness. The, the Bible says not only that, it says also that God led them every step of the way. And so I want to tell you today that uh, God is with you in the wilderness. Even if you got into the wilderness by sin, you are not alone. Like there's two ways you get in the wilderness. One is by sin and stupidity. Just rebellion. <laughs> Have you ever woken up in a spiritual wilderness and been like, I know how I got here. It was by disobeying God. Even if you got there by disobeying God, he is with you in the wilderness. If you got there not by disobedience, but just because life is not always, uh, you know, rainbows and cake and all of that. Like, I want to tell you, God is with you. If you are in the wilderness, slow down, look for him at work, listen. And even ask trusted friends where they can see God at work in your life. Uh, I, I know I'm going to pick on Caitlin because I love watching. Caitlin is the greatest Facebook mom of all time. Like 90% of Caitlin's posts are, I can't believe my babies are getting so big. Uh, right? And I love like watching Kelly and others chime in. And I know that, I know because of Facebook and just knowing that those two sitting back there are dear friends and there may come a moment where one of your kids has inevitably broken a bone because I feel like that happens to you more than anybody else on Facebook, right? Where Caitlin may be like, has God left me? Why do my kids keep breaking bones? <laughs> and in that moment, we need friends who go, God led you into the wilderness and he is with you in the middle of it. You are not alone. I can see him at work in your life. The second thing that we need to remember is that God led them to the wilderness to lead them through the wilderness. I ended up in counseling one time for a few weeks because I didn't understand that God led me into the wilderness, but he actually planned to get me through it. I, I, I got amnesia spiritually and thought God led me in and was not going to walk me through it. Verses 7 through 10, Moses talks about the land that they're going to be going into. And one trick that Satan will tell you in a wilderness is that you will never get out, that God will not lead you out. And that is not true. I would never leave my kids in the forest on a hike. I would never leave them. Now, I might run 50 yards ahead of them and hide in the woods and make me think that I would leave them just to teach them a lesson because I'm mean-spirited and kind of dark humored, but uh, I would never leave my kids actually in the forest. I wouldn't do that to them. And I'm not even a great dad. God's a perfect father and he would never leave you. If you're in the wilderness, he knows the way out. The wilderness is preparation. Actually, the wilderness is not punishment and the wilderness is not permanent. The wilderness is preparation. 
If you're in a wilderness, it's preparing you for what God has for you. So be encouraged if you're in a wilderness today that God loves you and is wanting to grow your faith and grow you deeper. Finally, the third thing, God led them to the wilderness to reveal something of himself to them. God's like the most beautiful diamond ever. I hear this of diamonds, that if you get a really good diamond, you can look at it from an infinite amount of angles and it would be, you would find something beautiful at every facet, at every turn, looking at that diamond. And I think God made diamonds that way to show us something about himself. That no matter how we look at him, he's going to be beautiful at every angle and we would see something we'd never seen before. And a wilderness provides for us the opportunity to see something of him that we wouldn't see if we never meet challenges. So a wilderness may be a way that he's going to show us his beauty or love or wisdom or goodness or holiness or provision or tenderness or patience or justice or mercy or power in a way that we wouldn't see it if we just sat in a promised land of no resistance. So if you're in the wilderness today, God isn't just about the journey. He's about you knowing him along the journey and he's sharing himself with you. Don't race out of the wilderness so fast that you miss something of the Lord. For Nat and I, we've had wildernesses where God just went silent. Has God ever gone silent in your life? We've had some places like that. We've had wildernesses of anxiety where we felt so anxious that we just felt alone and distant from him. We've had times when we were stretched financially and needed God to provide, times when we were waiting or felt lonely or we were disappointed. They all became places where we knew God more. Those wildernesses were the best parts of our marriage and of our faith journey, to be honest. Now, how do I know God won't leave you in the wilderness? Let me begin to just wrap this up and bring it to the barn. Here's how I know. We'll do a theology lesson for just a moment. God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, one in three, three in one. There aren't three gods. It's one God existing in three forms. Jesus wasn't created by God. He always was. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit always were. And they existed together in perfect fellowship and communion with one another. God didn't need to create humans because he was lonely. If you ever hear somebody say that, say it's the dumbest thing you've ever said. Like, I love you, but that's dumb. God is God. He didn't need humans to make him feel better about himself. He was in perfect fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you remember the cross, one of the things Jesus says on the cross while he's hanging there is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So how can the Trinitarian, perfectly unified God feel forsaken by a number, another member of the Trinity? Here's how. Because at the cross, Jesus took on every sin that anyone ever committed. Now think about yourself and all the sins you've ever committed. Things you did wrong, things you said wrong, things you thought wrong, things you, that were good that you failed to do. And it's a lot. Like for me, it could get embarrassing. At the cross, Jesus took on every one of those that I've ever committed and everyone you've ever committed and everyone that everyone ever has ever committed lands on Jesus. He absorbs it. And in that moment, the wrath of God falls on him so hard because he is holy and good. God is holy and just and his wrath falls on Jesus. And in that moment, there is a, a relational, almost like an untethering that happens so that Jesus feels like God has forsaken him and left him. Jesus goes into the wilderness to carry our sin. 
And he feels it so heavily that he says, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did it so that you and I would never have to feel that. No human being will ever feel forsaken by God completely in this life because Jesus absorbed every bit of that at the cross. So when you feel alone, you are not. When you feel like you're in an unyielding wilderness, you are not alone. The only ones who will ever experience complete separation for God are people who deny Christ all the way to the grave and die unrepentant and unyielding to God and not willing to ask for his mercy and spend eternity separated from him in hell. So Christ follower, in a wilderness of loneliness or disappointment or waiting or unfulfilled longing, God is with you and he's leading you to it and then he's gonna lead you in it and he's gonna lead you through it and reveal himself in new ways. Remember, humble yourself, let his testing, his refining work have its place. And I wanna tell you real quick to look around. Just look around. Uh, this space for me is a very real reminder that we are not alone in the wilderness. I'm thankful for Barb. I'm thankful for Kristen. I'm thankful that the theater lets us meet here. But this space for me is a reminder that when we don't know what to do and we don't know the way forward, God knows exactly. God knows exactly the way forward. And, uh, and he will do something in the middle of that that we could not even dream to ask him. So I was talking with somebody the other day, Barb, and they were like, well, where's the church going to go January 1st? I'm like, I got like five weeks before I even have to worry about that. I'm praying about that, but God provided this three weeks before we had a need and he will provide. If you're in the middle of a wilderness and you can't see the way forward, I want to tell you, it's okay. You don't have to. God sees the way forward. And if you'll lean on him and rely on him, he will lead you to the promised land.